Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 3, talking about no fear of God. And to begin with, I need some volunteers, um, some teenage girls, volunteers. There's three of them. That, come on. Right off up. I'm serious. I'm hoping you know the answers. Uh, no, just right here. If you want to face them, you're really brave. Are you wishing now you wore that really nice dress this morning? <laughs> Sorry. But uh, I'm going to ask you, what are some things freely given to us? You look so nervous. You're fine. What has God given you for free? <laughs> Could you whisper that softer? Just forgiveness of sins. <laughs> wow, forgiveness of sins. Okay. Clay, you can go down. Okay. Kelly, what else has God given you for free? What's that? I can't hear it. Mercy. That's very good. All right, thank you. Oh, hey, they're all gone now. There's none left. What else? Uh, this is my granddaughter, one of them. Uh, Aria, what? Uh, take off. You can, I can't hear you with that. Okay. What else has he given you for free? His word, the Bible. All right, great. These are things I didn't think of. Uh, guess who's awake now? All right. I want to say, how about forgiveness of sins? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, not our boo-boos, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a gift. I cannot earn it. I can't do good enough to get it. It's just a gift. I, I receive it. How about my peace, Jesus said. I give you my peace. So in, in here in uh, John chapter 14, he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. So the world gives peace through a bottle, through a great bank account or something. Jesus said, I give you my peace. So it's like peace is a kingdom and has one ruler. The ruler is Jesus, the prince of peace. And he said, I will give you my peace. How about joy? How about joy? Jesus said in John 15, these things I've said unto you. Now what things? Wait a minute. Abide, he's the vine, we're the branches. Answered prayer. These things I have spoken unto you that my joy would be in you and your joy would be made full. Nobody in the crowd goes, no thanks. Nobody said, that guy's such a crank. He doesn't know anything about joy. It was rather, are you serious? I can have that kind of joy? He goes, I'll give it to you. Here's another one, abundant life. Now you're probably familiar with this. Jesus said, you know the... The, the Satan has come to rob, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy you. He'd rather see you dead. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he says, this is for free. One more. The Holy Spirit. He said, you ask me. I'm going to ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. You need counseling. You need guidance. You need protection. You need provisions. It's all through the Holy Spirit, and it's all free. Now, Romans 3 describes the type of people who can receive these gifts, and it's not the group of people you're thinking. Okay? So, the review thus far of Romans, very simple. Chapter 1, Paul goes, those Gentiles are sinners. They're disgusting. They've crossed the line. Okay? And then God has honored their request to harden their heart, and God has given them over to their sins. And, of course, various sexual sins are listed there. Now, Romans 2, Paul turns to the Jews and says, well, you know, 
us Jews, we're, we're just as guilty. We might not be doing the exact same sin, but before a holy, holy, holy God, we are just as guilty, which leads us to chapter 3, where he goes, Every, everyone's a sinner. Everyone here is guilty. And already you're going, I'm so glad I came to church today. I'm just uh, hearing about how guilty I am before God. Well, it's going to get better, okay? So let's turn our Bibles. Are you there already? Romans chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 9, I'm reading from the New King James Bible. So what then? Are we better than they? He's saying, do we have a leg to stand on? Do, can we make any boast before God? Not at all. For we previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. Now that under sin is going to be important in just a minute. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable or useless. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat, this is gross. The throat's an open grave, an open tomb. That means death and stink comes out. With their tongues, they've practiced deceit. The poison of asps or snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace, they haven't known. And here's our sermon title, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and here's three things it does. Number one, every mouth may be stopped. Number two, that the world may become guilty before God. And three, that the deeds of the flesh, no one will be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge, or by the law, is the knowledge of sin. The mistake people make is that they think God gave us the law in order to that we can do it and get into heaven. But here it says, no, no, the law was given to show us how sinful we were, how much we cannot make it into heaven. Now, this is called systematic theology. Systematic theology, don't let me uh, lose you with this fancy title. It's the Bible has different doctrines. Doctrine simply means teaching on various subjects. So, for instance, theology, that's the doctrine of God. The Bible's full of theology of God. The doctrine of man, anthropology. Now, the biblical anthropology is the doctrine of man as we relate to God. We're created by him. We have drifted from him and so forth. Then you have the doctrine of sin, hamartiology. It's all throughout the scriptures. So that needs to come to the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, soteriology. I love this one. The doctrine of salvation. One guy calls it savior study. I love that, study of my Savior. And finally, uh, just in this, this is just a sampling, end times. Everything from death to the end time situation of the world, and then followed by judgment, and this is called eschatology. Here's the problem with systematic theology. There's no one place where these teachings are all found. Like you can't say, let's turn to Romans 4 and read everything the Bible says about sin. It's not there. It's all throughout 66 books. So systematic theology pulls it out of all these books and brings it together knowing the word does not contradict itself and it has a systematic way of laying it out so we can understand it. 
but because it's not found in one place. Paul is trying to make his point here, and he is going to allude to or, or quote from eight different sources, eight different scriptures. I'm thinking this guy knew the word. I, I'm thinking you, you might read it and go, wow, those are so random. No, this is systematic theology. He is just laying out his case, and I thought, wow, if I had to present a case on the sinfulness of man, and I, how, how would I pull it out of the Bible. I, you know, use Google or use a blue letter Bible, things. Do, so, but he just, from the top of his head, goes, oh, he begins to quote all these scriptures. Now, what he's going to talk about is anthropology, the doctrine of man. And he's going to talk about hamartiology, the doctrine of sin, which, of course, will lead to soteriology next week, where Pastor Danny will be sharing on the doctrine of salvation or the doctrine of forgiveness of getting saved from this world. Now, here's some main points of what we just read, all right? Main point, remember I said under sin, that title, we're all under sin. That's a, that's a, a word picture. When you're under something, it says like you're, you're sold under sin. That means it comes with a taskmaster and we can't get out. So we're sold unto the sin, sin. We have a taskmaster beating us. We would love to pay enough to get out or do good enough to get out. There's no getting out. So his first point is every one of us is under sin. And then he says no one searches for God. No one seeks for God. You have a problem with that? Because the first thing I'm thinking, well, David, what about all, or David, um, Paul, Paul the Apostle, what about all the temples? I mean, you're surrounded by temples. There's people who go there. They sacrifice. They give money. They sing. They read the word. He's no, no. His point is they're looking for a God, not the God. The idea here is we're sold under sin, but we want to find a God who will okay our lifestyle. We want to find a God who will say, Mike, that's okay with me. You'll still make it into heaven. Rather than the God of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He goes on to say, well, some, they've become unprofitable. Remember I said that's the same as useless? It's another word picture. And it's a picture of rotten fruit. Guys, I love fruit. I don't like rotten fruit. And once fruit becomes completely rotten, you cannot unrotten it. It's thrown away. It's useless. God intended it for something. It, it did not fulfill that and became useless. Their speech is an open grave, an open tomb. That, that means that ultimately this life comes to cursing and bitterness. Does that sound good? Then he goes on, just a few more points there. The poison of snakes is on their lips. Now, the, the, the gift of speech is given to bless people. It's given to encourage people. It's given to sing to God. That's what we're supposed to do with, with our gift of speech. But here, they're saying, this is another word picture. It's like, they're like snakes with poison. And they want to inject their poison into your heart. He's saying, this, this is the lifestyle of those who are sold unto, unto sin. Finally, he kind of sums it up here. Bloodshed, destruction, misery, there's no peace. Doesn't that sound like Noah in the time of the flood? It was just violence, bloodshed, and God said, I'm going to wipe them out and start all over. So what's interesting, this is the life that rejects God. Now, 
Then, then it says there's no fear of God in their eyes. And we'll come back to that in a minute. That's our main point this morning. So the end result in verses 19 and 20, three things. Every mouth is stopped. Every mouth is shut up. That means we go before God. Do you ever meet somebody who can't wait to talk to God to straighten him out? You know, when I meet God, he's got a few things to, to uh, clarify. For, it doesn't work that way. It's kind of the opposite. But this, anyway, we go before God, and the, the evidence is so overwhelming. We go, I, I don't have anything to say. I thought I had this case. Like, yeah, but God, let me explain. And, and then the, the evidence is out there. I, go, I think I better shut up. That's the purpose of the law. The second thing is the entire world is guilty. No one escapes this. And finally, no one can say, I've kept all 613 commandments all the time. Now, you might go, wait, wait, wait. I thought the law was Ten Commandments. That's what God gave to Moses. That's what God started with. But you can go to Google. Hit 613, 613 commandments come up. And, and we do wrong, and we, we don't picture this correctly. We think it's like 613 French windows. And, well, I broke one here, but I kept 612. Now, this is funny, but... Howard Cosell of Monday Night Football, I think he's long dead now, but if you remember, if you're cool enough, anybody cool enough to remember? Howard Cosell, one person up front. You're the only cool one. You guys don't know Howard Cosell. He was one of the commentators on Monday Night Football. And so one night he's explaining a touchdown. So say the edge of this stage was, was the goal line, and it's 160 feet across the touchdown. And if a guy is running with the ball, and he comes over that, and yet somebody tackles him, pulls him back. It's still a touchdown. You go, no, no, he ended way back here. It doesn't matter. He broke this pane of glass. So what Howard Cosell explained is, see this field as like having this huge glass window on it. It's 160 feet wide. It goes up and over. And all you have to do as a football player is just break it in any one place. It doesn't matter and it's a touchdown. It's not 613 French windows where, well, I broke this one, but I kept all those. No. The law is all of them together. And every one of us has broken the law, 613 commandments. Now, I'm one of them. You're one of them. That's what he's saying. We're all sold under sin. Does God at this point repeat what he did with Noah? Where it says, okay, Noah, I'm starting all over. I've had it. We're starting all over. He doesn't. You know what he says? Instead, he goes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for people who were found in Romans chapter 3. That's what's so crazy about this. So let's go back to no fear of God. Three things about no fear of God. Number one. I believe that either God doesn't even exist. Some people have tried to rule him out of their life. I believe he doesn't exist, or if he does, it really doesn't concern me. You ever heard of the guy who goes, I told God a long time ago, you don't bother me, I won't bother you. Good luck with that. What if he honors that? And then you face him in eternity. So either God doesn't exist, or it doesn't matter to me, or I reject God's truth. I reject his commandments as if they don't apply to me. Now, right out here, we have one stoplight in all of Oliva. 
And some of us think that's one too many. But the thing is, we all have to obey it. You know, it, you know, you go through, and I live a block away from it, so I'm like, you know, I just want to kind of cheat and just cruise. And, but if I, how foolish would it be for me to see the red light and on the other side see three cops waiting with their ticket book, waiting for someone to break that law, and I go, I'm not afraid. I have no fear of policemen or whatever. And so I, I drive across that red light and I get a ticket. It's, it does, it, that's how people treat God. Oh, I know his laws are there. Do you know how many people today, this morning, are living in sin and they know it? They know God's laws. They don't care. I've met people who are not Christians who know God's commandments better than some Christians. But they say, no, I just, I don't fear God's truth. I don't fear his commands or his laws. And finally, I have no fear of facing God when I die. No fear of God. I have no fear of facing God and giving an account of what I did with his gifts. That's what the no fear of God is all about. Now, if there was a school of wisdom, maybe you read about this in the e-letter this week. This is something I wrote for an intro. If there was a school of wisdom, and this school goes from preschool to graduate to PhD level stuff, how do you get in that school and how much does it cost? We have this, it's graduate season right now, and, and uh, recently all the grads, the senior grads at uh, the high school uh, youth group were sharing about what the youth group has meant to them and all this, and how many of them shared about what colleges they were accepted into, some even with scholarships, some with football scholarships. And it was so cool to, oh, I applied to these schools and I got entry, I, I gained entrance. How much does it cost? Buku, right? A lot. So here's what Solomon, the wisest man in the history of the world, wrote in, in Proverbs chapter 1. He wrote most of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, is the preschool of wisdom. So we said the school starts at preschool, goes to PhD. He goes, you want to get into school? You need fear of God. Without that, you'll be a spiritual dodo the rest of your life. If you want in, it takes the fear of God, and then it, the cost is free. So no fear of God, no godly wisdom. Here's the deal. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Proverbs 1. I'm going to quote from there real soon. God's wisdom is free. There are times when God just cries out, Hey, just, you need wisdom? Seek for wisdom with all your heart. You will find it. God, who cannot lie, makes promises he cannot break. He promises wisdom. He doesn't promise the timing of when he'll grant it. He just promises you'll get it. Now, in Proverbs 1, wisdom is personified as a woman. That means it takes on the shape of a woman. And she's walking the streets of Jerusalem, or maybe here, walking the streets of Haleiwa. And she's crying out. So here's wisdom crying out, hey, you want wisdom? Come and get it. Come on over here. I got it. It's for free. Now she calls out, notice this, in, in uh, Proverbs 1, verse 23, turn at my rebuke. That means I was going the wrong way. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. Now notice this. It says, oh, that's word. I don't like this word, rebuke. Rebuke. It's one thing to be rebuked in private. It's another to be rebuked in public. But here's wisdom saying, 
There's going to be times I'm going to rebuke you in your lifestyle. Turn, obey, respond. So it means that it's going to speak to me. Mike, you're wrong. Turn. I don't like to admit I'm wrong. Anybody like, yeah, I just love admitting I'm wrong. Especially to my wife. Especially to my kid. Nobody likes to say this. He goes, turn at my rebuke, meaning I did something wrong. I am doing something wrong. I'm practicing something wrong. I'm living a lifestyle that's wrong. And wisdom, because God is a father who loves his kids and he loves to discipline them. Wisdom says, turn. It's a rebuke. And if I listen and turn, I get godly wisdom. That's how it works. But it goes on in verse 26. If I say, I'm not going to listen to you, I don't want to turn. Did you ever ask me if I want to? No, you just said turn. I don't want to turn. And so in, in essence, I'm mocking wisdom. It's clear what God wants. I understand it. Those people who never, they say, I never heard God speak. Really? You never heard God say, turn. I have. You never heard God say, don't do that. I have. And so here wisdom saying, turn. And if I mock wisdom, say, yeah, you know what? Get out of here. Get out of my face. Wisdom will mock me back someday when I reap the fruit of that bad decision, that disobedient decision. So, again, we start with this. This is what Solomon the king wrote. Psalm, or in, in Proverbs 1.7. It's also found in Psalm 111, I think verse 10 somewhere. But it's, the, it's very simple. Solomon wrote most of the, the Proverbs. And in the first chapter, he starts with, hey, you know what? This is the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning. It's the preschool of wisdom. And then he goes on to explain about wisdom. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like to have godly wisdom? Well, we know it's going to tell us sometimes to turn, and some, it'll sound like a rebuke. But there's other times it's going to be confirming. There's other times it's going to be encouraging. Yes, you're doing the right thing. So God's wisdom does me no good if I don't do it. A man named Solomon, the king, found this out the hard way. So what does godly wisdom look like? Well, you want to obey. You want to obey what God says. So as king, remember King Saul was the first king. He was no good. King David was the second king. And his son was King Solomon, the one he had with Bathsheba. As kings, they were required, each king was supposed to handwrite the first five books of the Old Testament. They're called the, the Pentateuch or the, the books of Moses. Hand write. We have no record that any one of them did this, but we don't have a record that they didn't do it. But that's kind of a lot to handwrite those five books. Each king was then required not to multiply horses, not to multiply gold, not to multiply wives, and you can only marry a wife who's Jewish. All right? What did Solomon do? Not to multiply horses. He thought he was so wise, he bought horses from Egypt and then sold them over here to the Assyrians and his enemies on, on the side, on the, uh, to the northeast. He's thinking he's genius. I'm important him. I'm making the killing. What you did, Solomon, in your wisdom by making the killing, you gave your enemies enough stuff to come and attack you. 
They didn't attack Solomon, but they attacked the kids, his kids after him. So that was one. No gold. Don't multiply money because God wants his, the king to trust him. Do you know how much gold came in for every year to uh, Jerusalem? How much money? It's kind of a great, it's a very interesting figure. You ever hear of the Antichrist? What number is he? Can you mumble softly? 666. That's how much gold came in. 666. Say buku gold. And so, okay, now you're 0 for 2. You know horses, you multiply horses. No gold, you multiply gold. Wives. Just supposed to have one. She's supposed to be Jewish. Let me read to you out of uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, this is King Solomon who wrote most of Proverbs. Said, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Well, she's Egyptian. You're Jewish. You're not supposed to intermarry like that. Women of the Moabites, ooh, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely, here's God's moral reason why. Surely, they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. So, in other words, wisdom is rebuking. Wisdom saying, turn. Wisdom saying, don't go there. And he's going, my heart's already there. I cling to them. And like a, like a guy would cling to the, the running back, I'm going to cling to you till I tackle you. He goes, no, I, I can't help it. I'm clinging to these women in love. But this is what happens. He has 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart, turned away his heart. This guy had 1,000 women. I'm not sure how wisdom, how much that was, but... Uh, thousand women, but it said, just like God said, the wives turned his heart away. For it was when Solomon was old, me, a lot of us, we're getting older, tend to get sloppier. So often the zeal is in the youth. The zeal is in, let me take the world by storm. But these guys are getting old, and he's getting sloppy. So it says, for when it... um, For when it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth. Now, disgusting forms of worship with Ashtoreth. He went after that. The God of the, um, the God of, I'm sorry, the, the goddess of the Sidonians. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, just... You see what they do? They called worship. That's an abomination. Then he goes over, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, another false god, uh, the abomination of the Moabites, of Moab, on the hill that's east of Jerusalem. And, and Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did this. He, he did likewise with all his foreign women or wives and burned incense and sacrifice to their gods. Okay, when it says that the hill east of Jerusalem, you in, who have gone with us to, Jerusalem, to Israel, 
Do you know what the hill that is? There's only one hill to the east of Jerusalem. It's the Mount of Olives. This is the hill where Jesus prayed so hard he dripped drops of blood. This is the, it should be sacred. This is where Jesus is going to return to the earth. And it's, here's, here's Solomon who had such a great beginning but burned on his own wisdom. And now he's using this hill that has so much history and even future tense to it. And he's going, let's make a mockery. Let's just build idol worship and have all kinds of crazy sexual rights right there. And you go, Solomon, you, God, God appeared to you twice. God promised you wisdom more than anybody ever had. You were off to such a good start. How did you end up so evil, so infested with temptation and all that? Because at this point in Solomon's life, you would never suspect that he ever had a relationship with the true God. How does that happen? You drift. This is what's funny. Solomon, the guy who wrote most of the Proverbs, didn't pay attention to his own wisdom. He gets to a point where, well, I've got to say, you know, God's blessed and I'm just going to give it out to everybody else. Solomon, doesn't it apply to you too? I mean, as a leader, shouldn't you be first? Shouldn't you be the example of how this is done? And no, 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 I'm above that. I'm so smart. So Solomon, who wrote in, in Proverbs 4, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. So you got to watch over that thing because we are prone to fall in love with the wrong things. And here's the one who wrote that. And yet he didn't watch over his own heart. He didn't have the wisdom. He didn't listen to the rebuke that said, turn. So let's go back to the fear of God. Remember the three things. Either God doesn't exist or doesn't concern me at all. Secondly, uh, his commandments, his red lights mean nothing to me. I don't have to pay attention. And no fear of God. This one really gets me. People say, I'm not afraid of facing God. He's got some answering to do. I don't like the way he's run my life. I don't like the way he's run this uh, world. It's not how it works. No fear of God. No sense of I might be in trouble when I face holy, holy, holy God. Now, this is what 2 Thessalonians says about rejecting God's truth. It's, it's about the end times, and it's when the Antichrist comes on the scenario, but it applies to us as well. 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved, that they might be saved. And for this reason, because they didn't receive it, God Gate will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they will be uh, condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See this phrase right here? They did not receive the love of the truth. They knew it's there. They know what God requires. They know all about that. Just, I don't want that. I'd rather have my sin. And it says God gave them over to believe the lie. Well, what's the lie? The lie in the end times? It's going to center around the Antichrist. The lie right now? You can have your own truth. What, what kind of nonsense is that? Have you heard somebody, well, that's your truth. I have my truth. 
I, I just, I, I don't know if I should laugh or cry. What does that mean, you have your truth? Because to me, truth is like gravity. It affects every one of us the same way. I don't have my personal gravity. You don't have your, it's gravity. It was here before you were. It'll last longer than you will. And so to say, well, I have my truth. You have your truth. You have your nonsense. That's what that means. It's nonsense to think you have formulated your own truth because like gravity, it was here way before you were. And it affects every one of us the same way. But the, he, God said, oh, I will give you over to believe that lie. Give who over? Those who didn't receive the love of the truth. I don't like everything the truth says, okay? It calls me out. I don't like how, you know, and just, okay, initiate forgiveness with that person or, you know, go wash your wife's feet and, or do this. I don't like everything in it. But I love that it's truth. I love that God cared enough to send us his word and gave us his truth. So what does God's word say? Here's where it comes down to. We were created in God's image. See, some people say that's a lie. That's not their truth. That's the Bible. There's, there's no getting around it. We're created in God's image, but we've all sinned. In a sense, we've taken that forbidden fruit, just like Adam and Eve. We've crossed the line. You know, we knew it was there. Whether you knew it or not, you know, you're walking on, on a plot of grass, and all of a sudden you come up to a sign that says, keep off the grass. You've already broken it. It didn't mean to, but it's still offensive to a holy God. That's how it works. Then, God so loved the world, all those people described in Romans 3, all, all of us, the ones that go, this is disgusting, the stuff that comes out of their mouth, and, and was, there's like an open grave, and, and, you know, the poison that they infest with each other, and that's, the, that's God so loved us, he gave his only son. And finally, that if we'd receive him and not reject his word, we can have all those things freely given to us. All those things, like what does this truth promise? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Man's greatest need right now is not better gas prices, though I'm getting a little testy on it. Our greatest need is not worldwide peace, though we could sure use it. Our greatest need is getting right with God through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sin. After that, I want peace. Do you know how many Christians, Christians struggle with not having peace? They struggle with this inner turmoil. They, they struggle like, oh, what's my life doing? Where am I going? I don't know if God is big enough for this. And God, there's Jesus. I'll give you peace. That's nothing. I'm the prince of peace. I rule the kingdom. I'll give it to you. How about joy? Joy. Let me ask you, you know how Jesus said, hey, these things I've spoken to, unto you that in me you'll have, you know, I, my, my peace would be in you, my joy would be in you, your joy would be made full. What if you said that to somebody? What if you went up to somebody and said, you know, you can have joy like I do? Would they go, no thanks? Or would they go, really? I can have, yeah, because it's the fruit of the Spirit. When you have this right relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have love, joy, and peace. How about this one, abundant life? I mean, and then the Holy Spirit, it, 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 am I missing something? Doesn't this sound like that's what we're looking for? That's what, so why don't we have it? Distractions, temptations, a rebellious heart. It's because all this sin gets in the way, 
And then we get so condemned and get beaten up with these mind games that we stay away rather than realize, I need to come back. God, I am sorry. I did it again. Your 70 times 7 is turning into a 70 times 7 times 70 times 7. But I'm back. And here I am. Let's end with this. What would God's wisdom, what is it for you this week? How does this apply? Uh, number one, whatever you're facing, you can turn to him. Remember Proverbs 1? Turn to me. Turn at my rebuke. Turn to me. You're facing something. I, I've talked to so many. You know, I did everything on my own. I didn't even ask for prayer. I, I was just trying to work it out and staying up nights and freaking out. And I didn't turn to him. I didn't feel worthy. Turn to him. Uh, secondly, you can trust him. As you turn to him, you go, this guy, God is sovereign. He's got it all figured out. He knows the end from the beginning. He's got all the pieces and all the data that we don't know. You can trust him. He loves you. He's got a plan. You can pick up your cross and follow him. Wait a minute, wait, that didn't go. I like the turn and the trust. But deny myself. Pick up the cross. Yeah, because we have this tendency of, I'll do that once I had the turn and the trust figured out. Once I realized, oh, I know what he's doing, so now I can follow him. No, it's like from the beginning. Deny those things. Turn and, and trust in him. Uh, as the worship team comes back up, I want to pray for us. I want to pray. Maybe there's someone here this morning who's never done that simple I need forgiveness. I cannot earn it. I cannot work up for it. I just need forgiveness. I need joy. I need these things. I just, why, if this is all free, why am I doing it all the wrong way? And it's like God has brought you here this morning for this fresh surrender. So, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. Can we just pray? Father, we... We want to have a healthy fear of God, not to freak out, not a slavish fear, but of honor, respect, acknowledging who you are, what you're capable of doing, of leading and guiding and blessing, or of humbling us. God, I pray for wisdom for myself others here this morning, that we would realize who and what we are apart from you and turn to you. Lord, I, I know I have brothers and sisters in this room who are struggling with issues, whether it's uh, the need for wisdom, whether it's financial issues, health issues, sin, temptation issues. We turn to you. We trust you. God, accept us freshly. Grant us wisdom, strength, discernment, joy, peace, forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.